this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That is right, another international break episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined with me. No surprise here. You know it's a Chelsea youth episode, so we have Chelsea youth himself, Phil, joining us. How's it going, sir? It's going well. It's always good to be here, good to talk to you, and good to to have these longer chats uh, every now and then to to get into a, a few different topics, a few deeper conversations, and see where see where the chat takes us. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun. Every time we do a mailbag, which I think we've kind of cracked the code. I think mailbag is the way to go on international breaks. I know Tweeds and Dan did a mailbag. Uh, we're going to do a mailbag. I, we might even just do like a club mailbag with Dan, Nick, and I. But uh, it's just also a time to kind of ask different questions and kind of approach things. So I, that's exactly what's going to happen. So we don't really need to take too much time setting this one up uh, because it's pretty straightforward. So uh, with that being said, uh, first one up uh, from Bill. I guess I should plug all these questions came from our Discord. So if you want to be involved in these, jump on to our Patreon page, uh, check us out, connect into our Discord, and that's where we sourced all these questions. So shameless plug. Uh, all right, Bill of Wright says, do you think it is best for the academy to play in the formation or style that the first team plays in or in a formation or play style that best suits the players in the academy? And I'm pretty sure we've had this conversation, Phil, so it'll be good to rehash this. Yeah, we've we've touched upon this a few times, and it's something that is talked about at pretty much every club as well. Uh, a lot of clubs like to talk about being in lockstep with the senior team and having that influence run throughout the club as a very holistic way of developing players. I've always been on record as saying that you shouldn't imitate or be influenced too heavily by what the first team are doing because it's such a transient lifestyle as the first team manager Chelsea for example they'll go through managers every two years or fewer as we know and when you go from Antonio Conte to Maurizio Sarri to Frank Lampard to Thomas Tuchel they all have different styles of play Thomas Tuchel's 3-4-3 isn't Antonio Conte's 3-4-3 Lampard played 3-4-3 for a little while and they're all a little bit different but you could quite easily go from a, a, a staunch 4-4-2 manager to a 3-4-3. And if you're trying to then imitate that at under 23, under 18 and throughout your academy, you're subjecting those players to a lot of unpredictable changes. Uh, what happens at Chelsea's academy and certainly other academies across the country is that they will move between different styles of different location formations rather if i can get my words out all underpinned by their playing philosophy to develop rounded professional footballers at the end of the day players like reese james like callum hudson adoy like mason Mount, who can move around within a formation play multiple different roles allow the manager whoever that may be at senior level to make tweaks in game and they, they can do it seamlessly if you're doing that as an academy developing footballers who can adjust on the fly because your academy education has been refined without the influence of change coming from outside then that's the ideal world yeah i mean i think everyone always thinks to like barcelona's la la masia and you know and, and they do a carbon copy but they've run their clubs very differently than Chelsea, right? They they do have that four three three identity um, that the club has said from top to bottom. This is how we want to approach games in a possession dominant style, and they recruit they do. Their managers they, yeah. off of that, right? And that's the only way it works. To your point, Chelsea, you're, exactly. you're you're rolling the dice every time. You don't know who's coming in. 
<laughs> and uh, clubs like Barcelona and Ajax will do this and they'll talk about it and they're becoming inc- uh, less and less dogmatic about it by the year. So Ajax will have the the four three three throughout the age groups and their fans have typically been vociferous in demanding that at first team level as well. And a lot of their managers have been hired to play that or have uh, adjusted to the club's demands. Now, Eric Ten Hag at the minute isn't quite doing that. He's, he's more of a 4-2-3-1. And these are all semantics as to how exactly you refer to the formation depending on the distribution of players on the pitch. But if the results at first team level justify it, then there's rarely going to be a complaint. It's not so much about the fact that Barcelona or Ajax play a particular formation throughout their academy and their development. It's the sort of players that they're developing. The formation is oftentimes a coincidence. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, All right, next one is from Grover Rohan saying, really random, but who'd win a 100-meter race between Lamptey and Tino Livramento? I spent some time thinking about this because I'm not entirely sure. I don't think I'd bet against Lamptey. He That's where I was putting my incredibly money. Incredibly fast. I, out of possession, Lamptey wins with the ball. I think it's a close run thing. Livermento, when he gets his stride going, he gets ahead of steam. He's he's like a train up and down that right hand side. I think both of them would struggle against a peak Olaena from uh, a few years ago. Torino. In, he's at Torino now. He was at Fulham last season. He was absolutely ridiculously fast uh, breaking through the academy. Taller than both of them as well, so and and carries more weight by uh, by the same measure. And so that's not easy for him to move. Obviously, Tarek's smaller. He's got a shorter stride, but I'd still back him in a simple straight-up sprint race in this case. Yeah, that that's where I'm at. And that is no shame for Tino Livermento whatsoever. Oh, it would be close. They'd, <laughs> yeah. they'd both be very fast, but I, I just think Tarek would edge it. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, So we have a two-part from Nikhil and Gabriel. So Nikhil says, I think it's safe to say that the Trev Chalaba situation has taken us by surprise because it it wasn't like he was setting the world alight on loan, a la Reese James. If you had to pick two players to make that jump into the first 11 next year, who would those be and why is one of them Connor Gallagher for sure? Uh, Your Honor, that is a leading question. We are leading the witness here. (laughs) I think uh, everybody's been impressed by the way that Connor's started the season for Crystal Palace and that there'd certainly be a case for uh, having him in Chelsea's rotation now based on the same performances. Uh, the thing with Trevor Chalaba, uh, as he says, he wasn't setting the world alight, but it's a process. He had a full season with Huddersfield, a full season with Ipswich, a full season with Lorient. They're building blocks. And you don't have to set the world alight to to come back and to, to be reintegrated into your senior team's fold. You can do it in the way that Ruben Loftus-Cheek has done it. Didn't set the world alight at Fulham last season. We know there were slightly different circumstances there. But when you have the foundation of technical quality and the education of coming through the academy at Chelsea, everyone's loan moves go differently for different reasons. Some people are doing it for experience to develop their game. Some are doing it to develop them personally off the field to to mature as people, as individuals, to be able to handle the lifestyle of a professional footballer at the highest level. So when you're looking at how Chelsea's loan army are performing... It's very easy to get lost in the numbers, very easy to get lost in the the who scored statistics after the game because it's it's impossible to watch 20, 30 players every single week. Chelsea have got an entire department dedicated to it. We're just supporters online. We're, we're keeping track of what's going on. So I, I understand why people get drawn into the numbers, but 
when you when you step back and consider how they're doing, any any of them have the the quality to come back into the fold and be given the same opportunity to impress that Trev has taken with both hands. Now Connor's obviously has his name up in lights. He's playing the Premier League front and centre in front of most fans' eyes. Armando Broge is in a similar situation at Southampton. He's not playing quite as much, but he's scoring goals in the Premier League. So you're seeing what he can do. But Billy Gilmore, under a new Norwich manager, could easily come in, play the next 30-odd games in all competitions and make his case. You could have Tino Andrin out in Russia, who's unfortunately currently injured at the minute. A strong second half of the season. He's got the pedigree to come back into the team. There are players... Out on loan in the championship, you've got Levi Cole, you've got Ian Martson. If we're talking about them coming back in, can they do the same jump as some of their predecessors? Do they need a stop in between? Maybe, maybe not. It's it's hard to call who will. You put Gallagher as the favourite, but if you have a good season, the five or six players I've just named, any one of those guys probably would fancy themselves with a decent preseason next year. I think Joe Tweeds might have issue with Trevo not having a great season last year because he's been talking about Trevo for about exactly. a year. Exactly, But he was sort of out of sight, out of mind, playing in France during a pandemic with no fans in the stadium. And no matter how many people say out there, I'm a, a, a regular watcher of the Bundesliga, I'm a regular watcher of Serie A, Liga, whatever. Very, very few people in the Chelsea fan universe actually are. Yeah, it, yeah. People it, talk a good game, we, and there, there were people watching him. I was watching a few of the games, and he played well. He was playing in midfield. He played in defence. We know what he can do. Uh, to say that he was ready for this opportunity, you could make the case, but you could also make the case that he maybe wasn't. Would Chelsea have signed a player from Lorient directly? Maybe not. And that's always been the argument used against these players. Well, would Chelsea sign him if he wasn't on loan? Well, we're seeing what can be done with a player that has come through the Chelsea system and has been entrusted with the chance to develop in the first team now. Yeah, without a doubt. So getting back to the question, if you had to pick two players that make the jump into the 11, and we should say squad, right? It would jump into the yeah, squad. I mean, no, nobody has a, a proper first full choice 11, uh, first choice 11 rather, and especially Thomas Tuchel at Chelsea. Oh, and to go from on loan or in the academy to starting 11 is 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 rich probably for anyone. So it's, it, again, n- nothing wrong with that. Just saying, let's make it a little bit more realistic. Uh, one of them being Connor Gallagher. And then one would be maybe who do you think might be able to pop in between loan or Academy next season? If everything works out positively between now and the end of the season, I wouldn't bet against Billy Gilmore because he's already had an opportunity in the first team under Lampard and slightly under Tuchel and is also a premier league club. We know he's not that far away. It didn't really work out under Daniel Farker, but depending on who Norwich bring in, and it's now not going to be Lampard. I know it makes it complicated by trying to throw two central midfielders into the mix, but if 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 Billy if Billy plays for the rest of the season, he'll come back to Chelsea, and then we'll have Billy and Connor in the midfield, and there'll be presumably one spot available when Saul. Unless he has a fantastic second half of the season, I don't think Chelsea are going to be taking up their option to sign Sal Niguez. Uh And then we'll see what happens. You can put Connor into the uh, two tens behind the striker, theoretically. You could play him and Billy as one of the two sixes, depending on what you're doing with Kovacic, with Jorginho, whose agent still seems to be 
putting his name out there, touting around to return to Syria. We don't know whether that's actually going to materialise at any point. But it's good to have these options available if it does. Uh, very good. Thank you, Nikhil and Gabriel. Uh, over to Ganazagina saying, we know about the potential veil contract issues. Are there other prospects who are in similar situations, i.e. may look to leave rather than renew? Right. It's, it's an interesting one because everyone's a little bit spooked by what happened this past summer with Livramento in particular, but also Lewis Bate, Miles Pat-Harris. There isn't a lot of speculation that suggests that Vale will decline a contract right now. Uh, Simon Johnson from The Athletic wrote recently that discussions are going ongoing and they seem to be positive and uh, there's certainly no angst from Harvey's side in terms of not signing. But we know what can happen. This time last year, we didn't expect those three to depart in the manner that they did. Are there any other prospects? Any prospect could go down the same route between now and then. If you're looking at 2023 expiries, so 18 months from now, you've got Harvey, but you've also got Jude Soon-Sabel, Brian Fiabema, Charlie Webster, two dozen academy players across different age groups because your first pro deal is a maximum three years. The majority of them will probably pen an extension or a first pro deal or whatever, but it, it, one or two, as we've seen pretty much every year at Chelsea, may, may not. It depends on your preference of player and who you think is closer to the first team Soon Sabo had a fantastic year last year. He's done okay this year. He had some injuries that disrupted his, the start of his season and hasn't quite scored as many goals. That doesn't mean he's not playing well. But last January, he was on the verge of a first-team debut in the FA Cup, didn't quite get it. Managers change, situations change. I don't think we need to worry ourselves too much about this happening until it becomes clearer that it might but as I've written and spoken about numerous times before, if you plan properly and you make sure that there is a realistic pathway to earn your way into first team minutes, then you don't have to worry quite so much again. I think there's natural options for players to run down their contracts, as your point, on that three-year deal. So it's not really down to the club. It's also just it's built, we, you and I talked about this, it's built to protect players so they aren't signing seven, eight-year deals at 17 years old when they have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, precisely. And uh, we always talk about this, and, and fans love to tell me that they can't all make it. This is one of the reasons why they can't all make it, because there will be some who hit 17 and 18, in Livermento's case, who are they're ready to take on the challenges of first-team football. In, with hindsight, Chelsea maybe should have given him those opportunities to play. But the counter-argument is that Chelsea are very well stopped at right-back with a homegrown, world-class wing-back in Rhys James ahead of him. Having already had Tarek Lamptey go through a similar situation a year or two earlier. Uh, and that, that, that sort of speaks to answer the question that as much as I personally and others like me would like all of these players to make it to have the opportunity you will lose a couple along the way because even if you have a completely open pathway there's almost too much talent in some positions and in some situations which is a, a very rich man's problem for Chelsea to have. Very, very true. I bet other academies would love to have this problem of three great right backs plus Aspie as your club captain uh, mixed in with that group. Uh, 352 Forever wants to stick the knife in a little bit deeper and says, of the players we lost, uh, even though Bate isn't in there, 
or yeah, I'm sorry. I was thinking Harvey Vale still. Bait, Pert Harris, et cetera. Are there any we're going to regret losing? Have any shown big jumps yet? And I feel like this is just you getting excited to uh, to to just jump on this one because you're going to say we we regret all of them. I mean, it's everyone's different perspective. I regret all of them because I would have liked to see these talented homegrown players come through and represent the club in the way that their predecessors have, the ones that won the Champions League and uh, are shining for the team top of the Premier League right now. Livramento is obviously looking like uh, something of a regret, but they do have a buyback clause there. It's an expensive buyback clause, but they have protected themselves to a degree. I think that Bait will eventually show that he's a Premier League caliber midfielder. He's on the verge of a Leeds debut right now. He's not quite there, but he was on the, pre- the bench for them in the Premier League just before the break. Per Harris is a little way behind at Brentford, but that was the same situation at Chelsea. So regret, we'll know in a couple of years, and regret is sort of every, uh, different to everybody else because, yes, we lost them, but let's say three, four years' time, Livermento is an outstanding player for England and a top Premier League club. What have Chelsea achieved between then and now? They won the Champions League this last spring. They're top of the table right now, looking like a title contender, potential Champions League contender again. If Chelsea win several major trophies between now and whenever Livermento hits his peak, do you regret it? It depends on your perspective. I'd always regret it because that's a player that's come through the development system at Chelsea and not had the opportunity to crack the glass ceiling. But if the club are doing well on and off the field, then it's not really going to be a a major point of contention. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, a lot of, a lot of options just in general, which is good for us. Like, you know, do your regret it. I also think that's kind of a a tough question to, to fairly look at in that sense. But um, there's a lot of people who talk about regret with Declan Rice as well. And he's, his situation is slightly different because he left at 14 and it was the club's decision to release him. If you talk to people around the academy, I don't think that they'd necessarily use the word regret either. They made the decision that they believed was the best for the club at the time. They will acknowledge that they maybe got it wrong and they'll learn from the reasons that they got it wrong. Why did they release him? Did they think he was too small? Did they think he wasn't quick enough? Did they think his game wasn't rounded enough? Was he a midfielder? Was he a defender? All of those questions. Credit to Declan for proving that decision to be wrong. He's made an outstanding success of himself so far. But I don't think anyone at the club would necessarily say, yeah, we absolutely regret that one. Now, they may say, we're not going to buy him because it may look as bad. But we, oh, okay, we don't need to get into that. That, that would be somebody oh, okay. in the in the club's hierarchy. <laughs> but yes, we will leave it at that. B. McKeegan says, how's Ethan Ampadu doing? Uh, he looks great in Welsh red, tell you that much. <laughs> He's looking pretty good in Venezia's uh, black and orange and green as well. Uh, he's playing regularly, which is as much as we could have hoped for a last-minute move minus to Syria. Sh- minus that shambolic re- ghost red card he got. Oh, it was one of the most scandalous decisions Great of the tackle. season. Great tackle. Absolutely brilliant tackle. Yeah, we know he played regularly at Sheffield United, but he was playing in a back three, and I've said plenty of times I think that his best position is as a holding midfielder in a 4-3-3 where he plays for Wales and generally impresses, and that's where he is playing for Venezia right now. Um he was pretty impressive. Uh, they beat Jose Mourinho's Roma last weekend, 3-2. He got the match-winning assist in that one. A little bit of bragging rights against Tammy Abraham there. And, I mean, he's sort of circumspect about his, oppor- his opportunity to come back and play at Chelsea. He probably does compare quite favourably to Trev Chalobah for the conversation we were having earlier. Sort of bubbling away under the radar without ever being spectacular out on loan. He went to Leipzig, hardly played. 
but spent a season playing for a Champions League club on loan, forced into emergency duty in a game against Tottenham and was excellent. Had a season at Sheffield United in a relegation battle. Now he's at Venezia in another relegation battle, but the pedigree's there. We've seen him play for Chelsea's first team and do well. If he's going to come through in midfield, if I've already nominated Gallagher and Gilmore into an already crowded double six role, it may be hard for him. But just like Trev, he can play in defence as well. So I think there's a nice little comparison going on between those two and he might be one to keep an eye on between now and the end of the season. Yeah, again, and like, don't take away credit when someone goes to a foreign country and plies their trade. Uh, obviously this is his second time, but another new country, there's a lot that goes into that, you know, even just language and culture that you have to adapt to off the field as well as like on the field and adjusting to a club. So the fact that he's, you know, been able to go in there and, and, and be successful right away is, is a ton of, you know, credit. I think it's one of the things that doesn't get talked about enough in some of these moves that we'll, we'll go back to Trev again. He spent the year in France last season, not just the year in France, but a year under heavy pandemic restrictions in which he was rarely, if at all, allowed to return to England, return to London to see family. You grow up quick when that's happened, when you're you're forced to stay away from home, away from uh, those you love and care about for prolonged periods of time through no fault of your own. Uh, whether it contributed to his breakthrough at Chelsea or not, who knows? I'd like to think that it did because it shows character, it shows resolve, it shows desire. And it takes bravery for any youngster to, to go abroad into another culture, into another country, a new language, uh, any any age. And the, the, listen, Ethan's 22, not even 22 yet. He's 22 by the end of the season. So, and he's already, had, like you say, had a year in Germany, another year in Italy. Um, and whether he makes it at Chelsea or not, he's got a good career ahead of him for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and it seems like the injury concerns have his settled down for him too, which is great. Um, I look, Phil, I don't know about you, but if someone wanted to send me to France or Italy, I think I could probably handle that. Uh, particularly, <laughs> if someone offered me the opportunity to work in Venice for a year, I think I'd take it. Yeah, yeah, good for them. But obviously, uh, we only jest uh, about that. Hey, we're going to take our quick break. We're going to we're gonna obviously uh, jump to the sponsors when we're back. We have a lot, lot more. Uh, so again, thanks everyone for the questions. Uh, hope you're enjoying it. We're going to shout out to the sponsors for financially supporting the show, and we'll be right back. All right. So Ghana Zagina is back, all right, but he has a different one. He says, have any players surprised with big jump in their development, like Broja a few years ago, for example? Uh, which players haven't made it to the next step this year compared to the expectations set last year? The expectations, again, are one of those things that everybody holds different expectations of players for different reasons. Uh, I mentioned Sunsat Bell a little while ago. He had a, an extremely prolific season last year, not just at under-18 level, but then scoring goals for the 23s and getting opportunities to train with the first team at the age of 16. If you look at his numbers for this, this season, they're not as prolific. He isn't playing every single game. He's in competition with a number of strikers at the development squad. But that doesn't mean that he hasn't made the next step yet. He may not have taken the step that some people have expected, I wouldn't hold that criticism against him. In terms of Broja-like acceleration through, that doesn't happen every year. That's not a common thing. But there, there are still cases to to celebrate. You've got Brody Hughes and Lewis Hall playing regular development squad football as 17-year-olds, as first-year scholars. 
that's not very common in Chelsea. They're doing well. And someone like Dion Rankin has had uh, an outstanding first three months for the development squad and for the under-19s. Extremely productive on the right wing back position. Uh, um, making the best of some less than ideal situations at times. He he spent a lot of time playing at left wing back last season because of the club's uh, problems stocking that position at academy level and they're still ongoing. But he he's, he's definitely started the season very well this year. Uh, to say that he's the next one on the production line behind Livermento and James and Lamptey and Dijon Sterling and all of those may be a bit premature, but he's deservingly... Deserving of this praise right now, I think. And I think keep an eye on him for the rest of the season. Yeah, I like that. And, I, you know, um, well, I guess we'll get into that a little bit later. But, uh, again, young players, ebbs and flows. Uh, but Broja did kind of just explode. It's one of those things where, like, every now and then you get a player who it all just kind of clicks for him and they just go off. I remember hearing about Tammy Abraham scoring, like, 45 goals a season in the academy yeah the thing with Broger is that he's still doing it he's he scored for Southampton in the Premier League he's scoring goals for Albania in World Cup qualifiers in tough tough matches against Hungary against Poland playing against England what he's doing isn't normal and it's certainly not something that we should be looking at for for players to do every single season at Chelsea he's showing the very best of himself and why Chelsea gave him scholarship and gave him a professional deal but he didn't get that pro deal that automatically triggers on his 17th birthday like a lot of players do he worked for it and it came later and this this ascent seems to still be going uh, it's something I really haven't found someone a comparable case for not just at Chelsea but in the wider English game fair enough we don't need to compare uh, unicorns that is a-okay so Tana says can you compare contrast Mountain Gallagher can they play together in the same team or maybe have they played together for any significant amount of time in the academy uh, or is it more one of those things that we think to be playing in the same spot? We touched on this a little bit earlier, but now we can yeah. go head to head. They have played together, not as much as you might think for players who were born roughly a year apart. Mount was January 99, Connor is February 2000. They played uh, at the end of the 16-17 season. Mount dropped back down for a few games as they were challenging for the league. And they played very well together. Um, and they played in the sorts of roles that you s might see them doing at Chelsea. Mount is one of the narrow tens behind a forward and Connor is one of the two sixes. And I think that's what you'd expect to see from them at senior level. We've seen several managers at international and club level use Mount as one of the forwards rather than as, a, as an eight or as a double six. He has the ability to do it and did for Derby in the championship, but so far at the very highest levels, hasn't been regularly entrusted with that. Connor was entrusted with that last season at West Brom. He's doing that at Crystal Palace right now, primarily because he has the capacity to get through so much work between the two penalty boxes that very few players have in their locker. Now, we know Mount has incredible stamina, incredible running, pressing from the front. It's a different job to do it in the 80 yards between the two penalty boxes. And that's the fundamental difference between the two of them. There are similar uh, similarities. They both like breaking into the box and contributing somewhere between six and eight goals a season, ideally. They're both strong set pieces. They've both got good close technique. They're both tactically aware, tactically versatile. They could absolutely play in the same team. You may be able to get away with putting them both as a double six, but I think that's something that would come along a little bit later in Mount's game. Uh, it comes a little bit more naturally to Connor right now. You could put Connor into the two tens with a little bit of uh, a little bit less defensive responsibility. 
and he'd be an asset as well. But absolutely, you can put them into the same team, and I look forward to seeing it at Chelsea at some point. Now that would be that would be very very fun. Grizz says, "How's Embuyamba doing lately? Any first team involvement after he trained with the senior group a while ago? He's actually trained with them quite a few times. He has. It happens informally sometimes. Somebody might be having a rest day or unavailable through injury or whatever, and they'll need to make up numbers for that particular session, and they'll call somebody over. He's probably training with the well, the remnants of the first team group right now when they return from the break that Tuchel's given them, uh, because he's not on international duty, and they tend to merge the development squad and." first team together for numbers he's doing quite well actually we spoke for the first month six weeks of the season about his struggles uh, some high profile mistakes it's part of development it's part of learning and we said that once he shakes off the rust of essentially a year out of football uh, and starts to adapt to the way that Chelsea play he's got the, the pedigree of having been at Barcelona and a long-term target of Chelsea he's a Dutch youth international there's a quality player in there and he's starting to show it He's playing regularly as the middle centre back in a three, which I think suits him. He has a little bit of protection outside him. It, it simplifies his job to a degree. Um, and he's done well in the EFL Trophy as well, which is a good barometer of talent because he's playing against sometimes seasoned veteran. He played against Andy Williams against Cheltenham, who's basically twice his age and held his own. And that's, that's very promising to see because we'd all like Chelsea to have capable quality talent coming through he passes the eye test for sure he's an absolute lump of clay that you can mold into the center back that you want and that's what we should be looking for between now and the end of this season is for him to take this solid spell of form build on it use it as a platform to show everybody why chelsea were so keen to sign him well um i think again he's ones we kind of had a temper expectations with you know uh like i said you've talked about his season as a whole um he is it fair to say, because I don't want to make assumptions, Phil, that uh, Xavier Mbuyamba is more likely to go up with the first team because of his size and the fact that he is much more of a replication of a Premier League center back as far as training exercises than maybe some of the other players? Maybe maybe because of that? Does that yeah, kind of get probably the right now. Uh, you can't teach size. Uh, so he, he jumps off the he, he passes the eye test there all day long some of the defenders he's playing alongside are less experienced by comparison uh, not necessarily less talented I think Sam McClellan is a fantastic defender he may not be the fantastic modern defender to play at the highest level in terms of mobility and in terms of technical technical prowess but he can defend he knows how to organise he's a full Northern Ireland international of the players at the club right now, I think Mbiamba, we've already seen, he's been on the first team bench and been regularly in training, would be pressed into action deservedly or in an emergency situation. I think they probably tried to move players around before calling upon a young defender. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, sort of if we're talking about next season, then obviously you start to factor in Levi Colwell as well who, to my money, is a better defender at this point in his career, and I think a lot of people would probably agree with that. Yeah, a lot of eyes, especially after the the Naz piece on Levi earlier this season. Obviously, we touched on him. Uh, really excited to see how that goes for him on loan. Again, uh, again, last one from him, getting his third one in. But to be fair, you know, he is in touch with the youth team. I give him credit. He knows his stuff when it comes to that. Uh, he also asked one more for me. Are there any coaches in the youth setup that are in a line or in line for a move up to a more visible position? The easy answer there is yes, because the way that Neil Bath likes to run the coaching side of the academy is to 
have regular career progression for everybody. They'll they'll attain the highest possible badges they can attain. Uh, we've seen that the youth and development squads tend to cycle through managers every three years or so, and we're approaching that next summer. Uh, so James Simmons, who was the under-18 assistant last season, has been on secondment at AFC Wimbledon, part of their first team staff for the first half of the season, is due to return at the turn of the year. Now, Wimbledon are having a fantastic season with a squad that's got an average age of like 22. They've got dozens of teenagers around. That relationship may be extended, depends on how all parties feel, but I think it's working out really well for Simo at least. Uh, if not, then he'd come back and he's the sort of coach, uh, a former academy player himself, who would be in a prominent position sooner rather than later. Ashley Cole is somebody that everybody knows. He did some work with the under-15s and the under-16s. He's now in a hybrid role because he's the England under-21 assistant manager. So he's getting prominent positions outside of the club and I think they've got high hopes for him internally. Uh, probably get to lead his own team. He's He's been taking charge of the under-17 cup matches this season. Not necessarily full-time lead 16s. That's a job that Hassan Suleiman's got right now. He was promoted from the under-14s earlier in the year. A, a strong track record of success through the age routes for him. He was an academy player at Arsenal. A bit of a non-league career, but he's been at Chelsea for a good number of years now, and he's certainly one to watch as well. Yeah, uh, Ashley Cole. Uh, pretty, pretty household name. I love him as a pundit, too. Um, so he can really kind of do whatever he wants, but I don't think he wants a lot of that public recognition to each their own. Um, Techie Tiger asking, any outgoings to expect in January? Isn't that a little bit of a weird time for the academy to have players move? Permanently, yes. On loan, no. There'll be uh, the usual evaluation of who needs to go out. Someone like George McEachran absolutely needs to go. He's 21 and has had two loan moves in the Netherlands, full foul of, of COVID over the last 18 months or so. There, there's other conditions contenders in the group who you'd think could go out and get some minutes if the opportunity was there for them. McClelland is one of them. Uh, Xavier Simons might be another one of them. Uh, there is the overriding factor that this team, the development squad, are struggling in the PL2 Division 1 right now. Uh, nobody wants to start discussing a relegation, but you also don't want to unnecessarily weaken the team and promote youngsters before they're ready. I know that the player development comes first and that if the right opportunity to send players out on loan arrives, then they should be given serious consideration. But at the same time, Chelsea want to be having their games program at the highest possible level. And depending on what happens between now and the January window with the development squad, whether they're still embroiled at the bottom of the table, whether they're able to move into a bit of a safer mid-table position, you might see them err on the side of caution, keep players around to keep the development in-house, keep that team at the top of the Category 1 uh, pyramid, uh, and then move them out on loan in the summer. Yeah, no, that, that's fair. Lewis Baker too? You know, if, if there's a move for him in January, it'll be permanent. His contract's up in the summer. Mm. He won't be signing a new one. The issue, as with many players in his case in the past, just the way he didn't get a move in the summer window is money. He's on a handsome wage for a player who, uh, in his heyday, was Chelsea's brightest prospect, had some very strong moves on loan, uh, wasn't able to find a new club or come to an agreement in a summer window where so many clubs have felt the pinch of the pandemic. Gotcha. Uh, he's 26 now. He'll be 26 by the sorry. He'll be 27 by the end of the season. He's April 95. So just like Jamal Blackman last year, in a way, it'll just be a case of winding your contract down. And Jamal's landed on his feet. He's playing for LAFC and doing pretty well. Really? Yeah. 
I mean, their team's terrible, but good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Like we said earlier, if somebody offers you the opportunity to go and work in Venice for a year, then he's got the opportunity <laughs> to go to go and play for a couple of years in LA. I'm thinking after spending some time on loan in Sweden and at Middlesbrough yeah. and at Leeds and at Wickham and at Sheffield United, he's now playing his trade in LA, and I'm sure he's very happy with that. Sunny LA, yeah. Um, great, good for him. Uh, Dr. SB says, we've seen pictures and videos of current stars like Mason, Callum, and Trevor in the stands or as a ball boy when they were very young. Do current youth players in that age bracket see that and take any stock in that? Is it too early to tell which ones we'll be seeing on the pitch at Stanford Bridge in 10 years? In 10 years, it's probably a bit early because if they're 21, then they're 11 now. Um, names, Phil. Give us the names. <laughs> We're not going to name eleven-year-olds on this podcast. Uh, um, absolutely, they see these players uh, experiencing success, and they'll be ball boys in the same situation as these guys were. It's the way that the club uh, works with the academy. Uh, they're not just there to be ball boys; they're there to closely watch a player in their position, and oftentimes have to report back on it as part of their development um, through the academy. But yeah, they see these players experience success, and they think, "Well, that can be me." Uh, because they've, they've, they've been able to show that there is a pathway at Chelsea and for every player who leaves and takes that pathway elsewhere there are players in the in, in the first team now who've got the Champions League winner's medal and you saw it with Mason after he scored a hat-trick against Norwich he's, he's, there were the clips going around of when he was 16 and said he looks up to Ruben uh, Ruben's three years older than him or whatever and there they are both on the pitch at the same time Ruben laying on the hat-trick goal Three, four years' time, somebody who's first-year scholar now, Lewis Hall or one of the, uh, Michael Golding, who's an under-16, who's playing for England under-16s, won the under-16 national tournament, player of the tournament the other week. Anything like that. These players are seeing that it's not that far away from them now. For some of them, it's certainly within reach. And it could be Mason laying on a hat-trick for one of those in three, four years' time. Yeah, um, that's cool. I don't know. I guess it's probably cool that they get to be there, you know, in as ball boys and, you know, in the stadium and seeing the excitement and the passion for sure. I was trying to think of like, uh, how you, how do you explain to your teacher? You got homework, but you're busy at Chelsea versus Juventus and in the champions league midweek, <laughs> you didn't get well, to Well, for, for some of the, for some of them, as we spoke about on last time's podcast, last time we were on the monthly update, the, there are a core of players who are educated on site at Chelsea in their association with the local school because clubs are allowed to take control of their education provision. But there are no excuses. You still have yeah. to get that work done. <laughs> and and it's certainly, it's not just a case of saying, well, this happened at school. And if, you're, if your school and your club aren't in the same place or run by the same people, you may be able to bullshit your way through it from time to time. But when when your teachers are in the next room... <laughs> There's no there's no hiding place, but I mean, a lot of the players uh, they're good academically. They understand the responsibilities they have as part of this system until they sign professional. At which point, I mean, they can technically do what they want. There are players who've undertaken strong further education and more power to them because football isn't forever. Yeah, because you hear that. It, what do you guys call your A levels? There'll be players yes. who like get done with the match and they're like, ah, I still got to study for my A levels or whatever it is. Yeah, there'll be some players doing A levels. There'll be some some doing B tech equivalents and further education in in different ways but yeah it's it's part of the extended games program for players to be able to pursue further education and then even when they they're professionals you've got players at the club who are doing degrees they're doing mbas i know as in his 30s now but he's doing an mba 
And long may that continue because it's not even just about football not being forever. It's about the more you can do, the more you can further yourself as a as an individual. It just it broadens your own horizons and makes you a better person, makes you a better footballer. Yeah, we I remember JT, I think, said he wished he would have done his coaching badges during his career. Um, you know, Aaron Cuthbert has been very open about her pursuing a degree while she's, you know, also playing football full time. And I think there's quite a few of the women's team players as well that do that. You know, obviously yeah. the men get paid quite a bit more. So a lot of them can ride that a lot longer. Whereas, uh, you know, young players in the women's team, they kind of have to keep their options open um, while they're catching up as far as uh, compensation stuff. Um, Gabriel asks, will Levi Colwell get a shot at the first team or maybe a loan to a team in the Prem? What do you think is going on with uh, Levi's kind of forecast and his his future? If we rewind a year, you'd probably have the same question asked about Mark Gurhey who was playing for a top six championship team uh, and had the same level of excitement around him. Now, he's justified that excitement because he's been excellent for Crystal Palace so far, a rejuvenated Crystal Palace, who has some really impressive results. Now, he had 18 months in the championship. He had the six months at the end of a season, which was a slightly prolonged season because of Project Restart. And then he had that full year back at Swansea. Now, Levi is in his first half season we're not even at that point yet in the senior football uh he's already been anointed as the next one and he's a fab- fabulous defender with so much potential will he get a shot in the first team next summer based on the way Chelsea are operating now maybe not because you'd like him to get a premier league opportunity first maybe go he's shown you can do the leap to a club, club of crystal palace's level I think he could have made the leap to a club of Chelsea's level. And you can make a case that Levi could do it. We've seen that he, under Lampard, you had Mount and James and Abraham all do it from championship to Chelsea's level. Admittedly, that Chelsea team was maybe not at the level that this Chelsea team is at. The big asterisk on all of this is what happens with Chelsea's centre-back depth between now and then. With so many players who are out of contract, who may potentially not sign a contract... And the only one of those who regularly plays on the left side of the back three being the biggest doubt of all right now. Nobody knows what's going to happen with Antonio Rudiger, and it may not be decided until the last minute. Now, Chelsea will be doing their due diligence in the background with alternatives. You ideally don't want to replace your best centre-half with an inexperienced at-the-top-level defender. However good Levi is, and he could take to it like a duck to water and be given the opportunity. But if if you're Chelsea, that isn't the way you'd ideally run the situation. Maybe you bring Levi in for the same sort of role that Trev's having this season. He's a bit younger, uh, and Trev's certainly had the opportunity to play more regularly than anyone would have expected. But at the same time, isn't there every single game uh, like somebody like Andreas Christensen has been. Yeah, Malenk, uh, will, will he get too. a shot? He's got the ability to deserve a shot. The situation may play into his favour, but everything being equal, I think you'd maybe see him have a Premier League loan if everything was planned properly. Yeah. Because uh, he's still really young as well. He's This is his age 19 season. He's one of the youngest players to play regularly in the Championship as a defender in the last decade, which speaks to his quality and to his potential and to the development path that he's on. But it's another leap entirely to play for a team aiming to win the Premier League and Champions League. Yeah, no, that's fair. And again, you don't want to put so much pressure that it crushes them. 
and they don't have that that room to grow yeah. into it. So, um, so Phil, uh, you you probably haven't caught this, but we've been getting trolled a little bit in these mailbags. And Doctor SBE comes back with the uh, for Brandon, Dan, or Nick because on um, the Kings Road mailbag with Joe Tweeds. Dan was asked Brandon or Nick, and I think they've even snuck another one in. So um, this seems to be a a rolling question amongst all of us, but I can't decide, obviously, Dan or Nick. Have they managed to divide and conquer yet? Well, so with Dan and Tweeds, they go, well, it depends. Like if you want someone to play soccer with, then of course it's Brandon. If you want someone to go bourbon sampling, then of course it's Nick. It just depends. And then it, it completely derailed. And I ended up getting called out by Joe Tweeds for, and and being banned from any Vegas trips if, if we do those as a team. So, uh, we don't need to. To go there it's just you know we're a team and as you know we need all the parts of the team phil you know that you're a part of the team now too teamwork makes the dream work <laughs> all, everyone's got a role to play exactly we've all got our roles you uh ornery 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 out there and then lastly to brent bringing the heat says why are tacos so good and should they take the place of the hot dog as america's americana dining i mean phil what's what's the taco scene like over there in the uk yeah well there's a couple of sort of chain mexican branches and they're fine i'm no one's mistaking it for anything remotely approaching uh, <laughs> proper mexican food or at least anything that you get stateside they're fine i'm more of a burrito guy myself than tacos but i appreciate a taco uh, I think that they're far more flexible and versatile than than a hot dog, um, but I'm, I'm partial to a hot dog as well. I'll leave you to the Americana dining answer. Ooh. It's more in your ballpark. Hey, I tell you what, uh, the hot dog is definitely losing market share here in general. Uh, I just think that pastime is is gone as people have uh, changed their tastes and maybe their their dietary awareness. Uh, they are gone. Uh, tacos are great in the sense of my girlfriend's gluten free. She loves tacos, right? She can have them as long as they're not flour tortillas. Uh, with the corn tortillas and things like that. So uh, because of that, I just think the flexibility is there. And honestly, a hot dog is like, a, it's a pretend meat. Let's, you know, it's just all the scraps shoved into <laughs> That's casing. the other thing as well. It's like, if you're doing it for yourself, you, you can shop accordingly. But if you're getting it as fast food or a sporting event, you're not getting high quality oh, produce. Oh, no. It is funny, though. I still uh, I still love like sausages and brats and things like that. We have a uh, a Polish, a very genuine family Polish um bakery with pierogies and sausages and, and all these different things, which is great. So I, I do love that, but I put hot dogs on a gross island by themselves. Yeah. So Yeah, you're not getting that quality Polish produce that you at a sporting event. Yeah. So anyways, I look forward uh, to a taco dinner with Phil over in the UK when we're there next month. Uh, I'm looking uh, forward to that. I'm sure, uh, like you said, there'll be a Taco Bell or something that we can avoid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But it'll be good to see you guys when you're over. Absolutely. Yeah, we are getting a little bit closer. So anyways, thanks, Phil, for joining us. Uh, everyone out there for the questions. It makes it fun uh, because Phil and I kind of walk into these not really knowing what to expect. Uh, and it keeps it a little bit lighter and a little bit more fun. So appreciate everyone out there. Hope you're surviving the international break. Uh, football will be back soon by the time you hear this. Uh, so keep your heads up. We're almost there. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.